0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. All
1: right, today's teaching text is out of Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And this is a word from the Lord. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whose favor rest. That's a word from the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> Yeah, we all acknowledge that and just recognize, uh, I think, uh, quite easily that, that the world is not as it should be. There's a lot of conflict. We experience conflict. Uh, in our families, we experience conflict, just in the world in general, we experience conflict within our own souls, and therefore we all long for peace, and we know that it's a peace, as we'll talk about today, the world cannot give it; it's only a peace that you can give, and so Jesus, I pray that supernaturally, that you would just work today, through the teaching of your word, through these songs that we've been singing, and that we truly would become a people of peace, that we would live in such a way Um, that people look at our lives, and in the midst of all the hardships and suffering and and brokenness, because of the peace you give us, they can ask us, why are we the way that we are? And that would allow us to even be able to tell other people about you and what you've accomplished for us. I ask that you would do this for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. The absolute uh, worst year that I had in school was my first grade year. Uh, because of my teacher. I think a teacher kind of makes or breaks the experience, I feel like, in a lot of ways. And my first grade year, uh, the teacher that I had, I felt like she was just out to get me. I mean, every single day I got my name on the board. Remember the chalkboard back in the day? And and I wouldn't even get my name on the board. I would also get like checks by my name. Like, you got three checks, you went to the principal's office. So I got, you know, to be pretty close to the principal that year. And um, it was just like, she was always getting on to me. Not only that, but she was Also, I felt like intentionally making fun of me. She knew I didn't like it, but she would intentionally mispronounce my last name. And so rather than saying Mr. Pickney, she would say Mr. Pickaninny. And so she would say, Mr. Pickaninny, why are you coloring your dog purple? Or Mr. Pickaninny. Uh, why are you getting up out of your seat, or Mr. Picketing, why are you talking, why are you laughing? I mean, I hated whenever she would call me, that it was very embarrassing for me. And and so as a result, man, I just got to where I did not want to go to school. I feared this woman, therefore I feared school, so much so that when I was in uh, first grade, I'm thinking about this as a six-year-old, I developed, because of my anxiety, not one, not two, but three different ulcers just because I was so worried about school. My parents, they did everything they could to try to help me, uh, took me to the doctor. They got me medicine for the ulcers and all of that, but, but they just could not figure out a way to help my anxiety. And so eventually, I guess they came to this place where like, we don't know what else to do. And so every single morning, literally every single morning in my first grade year, they got to where they would play the song, maybe you remember it, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Anybody remember that song, right? Bobby McFerrin, number one song in 1989. Uh, I think I saw this past week, the first like acapella song ever to go number one, maybe the only one, but they would play it for me every single morning. And here's the thing. Uh, I don't know, how many of you have heard that song, by the way, let me just see. Okay, every one of you, I think. Have you ever paid attention to the lyrics of that song? They're pretty ridiculous. Uh, let, let me just read a couple to you, a couple lines. McFerrin says, ain't got no place to lay your head. Someone came and took your bed, don't worry, be happy. Okay, listen to me, look right at me, let me give you some advice. If someone takes your bed, you need to file the police report. (laughs) Like, you should be concerned. The landlord said your rent is late, he may have to litigate, don't worry, be happy. That's terrible advice. If you can't pay your rent, something needs to change. Like you need to get a house with less rent. You need to get a better job. You need to budget your money better. You need to need to come talk to us about benevolence and see if the church can help you with some money. You need to be concerned about that. And the song goes on and on. And listen, it's a really catchy song. It really is. But But it's not helpful. Because if you're anything like me and, and you have anxiety at times in your life, if you're worried about real life stuff like your health or your job or your parents or your kids or your finances or your marriage, like how helpful is it for someone to walk into the room and say, hey, Troy, don't worry, be happy. It's like you probably want to punch them, right? If they say that, it's like, like it's not that easy it's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Oh, duh. Like, I didn't think about that. I'll just, like, stop worrying and be happy. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's not like there's a switch in your brain where it's just like, okay, I'm going to stop being anxious and now I'm just going to have peace. I'm going to be whole. I'm going to be complete. Like, that's just not the way it goes. And because of that, there are many of us in the room today who continue to live with a low-grade sense of anxiety that, if we can be honest, in a hostile culture like the one we're living in, is becoming almost like this fever pitch Like, we're just increasing, becoming more and more worried, more and more anxious. And and therefore, as a result, like, I think, man, like, we desperately need to take to heart this Christmas story. A story that really is all about a peace that we can experience in Christ, no matter what is going on around us. And and here's the way the story starts. If you look back with me, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so notice, this story does not start in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't start once upon a time. Luke starts by saying, in those days. That is Luke's way of saying to you and me, Christianity, the Christmas story we're about to read, it is not a fairy tale, but it's actually a true story. It's not something that's rooted in mythology, it's rooted in history. And so Luke says, we need to pay attention because the story we are about to read, I know you've heard it so many times and maybe you equate it with Santa Claus and and all of that, but this story that we are about to read is a real event that involves real people and a real place and a real time. And you need to know this, the times these people were living in was hard, really, really hard. In fact, the things that we're often afraid of are the very things they were afraid of, just like times 10. I was um, reading a report earlier this week. This is from Chapman University. They did this random sample or survey of 1,035 adults across the United States where they had a list of like 95 different fears, ranging from topics like environment, the government, natural disasters, COVID-19, and many more. And what they discovered from their survey is that the top three fears that we currently have as Americans can be boiled down to this. Number one, the number one thing we're afraid of as Americans is a corrupt government that cannot be trusted. Number two, a loved one getting sick or dying. Or number three, financial instability. I share that because that's the exact same fears they had in Luke 2. They were under a very corrupt Roman government. They were being taxed beyond what they could pay. Caesar wanted them to give 50 to 60% of their income to them, to him. And I didn't know this until this past week. The average lifespan during this time period was 35 years of age. So there's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of death that is going on. And in the midst of these fears, in the midst of this corruption and financial instability and sickness and death, God steps into the picture. God leaves heaven and he comes to earth, not in a blaze of glory, but as a baby. And guys, just think about that for a moment. The God whom heaven and earth cannot contain decided to travel through the birth canal of a woman. And that's what this story is going to focus on. It's what Luke talks about in verses one through seven. But then in verse eight, he shifts from one scene to the next. He goes from this birth in a barn to these shepherds in a field. I want you to look at this with your own eyes. In verse eight, it says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so think about this. Jesus has been born and God says, because this is such good news, I cannot keep this news here in the barn. Like I've got to spread this news. I got to make sure everybody knows the Messiah has been born. And think about this, of all the people, Of all the people that God could have chosen to share this message with first, he sends the angels to these lowly shepherds. And you see, the reason this is such a big deal, I don't know what you know about shepherds, but in the first century, shepherds were considered to be like the worst of the worst. They were liars. They were considered to be thieves. Their, Their testimony would have been thrown out in the court of law. According to the Mishnah, shepherds were in the same class as prostitutes and tax collectors. They were unwanted. They were rejected. They were considered by the Jews to be completely outside of the covenant promises of God. And yet, God chose to send the message of the Messiah being born to these people. The very people that you and I are tempted to look down on, the very people that we're tempted to shun, or isolate ourselves from are the very people that God moves towards and guys this is not a one-off like this becomes a pattern in Jesus's ministry I think of Mark chapter 2 where the religious leaders of the day are ticked off at Jesus because quote he's eating with sinners and tax collectors you see to eat a meal with somebody in this culture is a sign of acceptance And so they're like, Jesus, why would you eat with such vile, disgusting people? I mean, do you accept their sins and all their, their shortcomings? To eat a meal with somebody was a sign of hospitality and honor and love and friendship and over and over and over. Think about this. Jesus, and then Jesus, again, is the radiance of God's glory. He's God in the flesh. You want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And Jesus is the kind of person that when he walks into a school cafeteria, he intentionally chooses not to sit at the cool kid's table but with the last, the least, and the lost of society. With that being said, I just want to say this. If you are here and you feel like that you're not cool enough to sit at the cool kids' table, if you feel like a reject or like a a not good enough, if you feel overlooked, Advent is for you. Because what Advent teaches us is that God sees you. And he doesn't just see you, but he moves towards you with compassion in his eyes and love in his heart. And if you have received that love, the call is now to extend that love to others. Uh, I mean, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 14. He says that whenever you have a dinner, when you have a lunch, invite, listen to who he says to invite, Luke 14, invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the rejected around your own tables. Amen. church, if there's ever a time to do that, it's the holiday season like people feel more lonely than ever around the holiday season. And we get a chance to be like Christ by inviting those around around our table to be a part of our families, to be a part of, uh, of our friendship, to experience our love, the love that God has poured out for us. Of all the people God could have sent this message to first, he sends the angels to these lonely little shepherds to announce the news about the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the one who has been born to lead us out of slavery of fear and into the life that we are longing for. And that's what he goes on to say. If you look with me in verse 9 again, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I actually like the King James language better there. It says, They were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. It's interesting. You should remember this. Um, Angels are not cute and cuddly little babies, like wings and a harp. Like, that's the way we think of them. My mom used to do these little, uh, figurines called, uh, precious moments. You may remember those things? It's not what angels look like. Uh, angels are not like, oh, look at that little cute baby. You know, like when it like pinches little cheeks or whatever. Like, angels are terrifying. They're, they're warriors of light. That's why anytime they show up, people are freaking out. And the first thing an angel has to say to you, like if an angel showed up in the room today, you'd be so terrified. The first thing he would probably say to you is, I'm not going to kill you. And it's literally like pretty much what they say. Don't be afraid. That's what they say to these shepherds. Do not be afraid. Why? I didn't come to kill you. I came to bring good news that will cause great joy. That can be translated mega joy. We'll talk about that next week. Great joy for all the people. Not just for some. Not just for the Jews. Not just for the, the high class. Not just for those who, who don't drink or cuss or chew or date girls that do. Like, like I will bring great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And look at this. This is crazy. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts. A better translation is a multitude of heavenly hosts. That literally means like so many angels you cannot count. So how scary would that be? You're scared of one angel. Now there's so many angels around you, you can't even count them all. You're surrounded by angels. They all show up for this big event. And because they're so blown away by what is happening, they cannot help but burst out into song. They begin to sing the very first Christmas carol. And here it is. They're praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory does not go to man. Glory does not go to you. It does not go to me. It goes to God. This is all his idea. It's all his doing. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That word peace, which you see there in verse 14, is the Greek word areini, which literally means to make whole or complete. And here's the idea behind this. You have to get this. When we sin... We disintegrate. When we sin, our lives literally begin to fall apart physically, relationally, and emotionally. Now think about Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Like before sin entered the picture, they are naked and unashamed. Um, they're, everything is beautiful and rhythmic and as it should be. They're walking with God in the cool of the garden and, and life is bursting forth everywhere. But then what happens in Genesis 3? Deceived by the serpent, the serpent convinces them God is not good, that he can't be trusted. And that's always the root behind every sin. We fail to trust God. That he wants what's best for our lives. The serpent deceives them. God does not have their best intentions in mind. And so they choose to eat of the tree. God said not to eat from. And immediately in that moment, everything is fractured. Their relationship with God is fractured. They go from walking with him in the garden to now hiding from him. Their relationship with one another is fractured. They, They start blame shifting. They go from being naked and unashamed to naked and ashamed. So they cover themselves in, in fig leaves. Their relationship to themselves is fractured. They're experiencing now shame and guilt and fear. And guys, you've got to hear this today. That's what sin does. Like, you've got to get out of your mind this idea. I was talking to two women after this first service. We've got to get this idea out of our minds that sin is just breaking the rules. That, 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 that there's a God in heaven who you know, said, okay, let me think of a list of things that are fun. Uh, so you're having sex outside of marriage, you're getting drunk. Uh, he's, and he starts coming up with all these things like, that sounds fun, that sounds fun. So just don't do that. Like some of us think that's the way God is. Like all the fun stuff, he's just like some sort of celestial killjoy. He's like, just don't do those things. Like that's not what God is about. God understands that sin, like when we choose to live outside of the way he designed us to live, though it promises us peace, it always brings us pain. It fractures us slowly, but surely it begins to break our lives down. And that is bad news. But the good news is, is that Adam and Eve, when they sin, rather than God saying, you know what, forget you guys, like you're on your own, God pursues them beautiful. He actually, by the way, even kills the very first animal, sheds the blood for it, and uses the skin to cover them, their nakedness, which is a foreshadow of what he's going to do in Christ for us, the righteousness of Christ. He pursues Adam and Eve, and he makes a promise, one day I'm going to send the Messiah through this woman, and whenever he is born, he is going to crush the serpent so that we can be freed from the power of sin, and once again begin to experience a life that is whole and complete, and that is what the angels are so excited about. They're excited because this long-awaited Messiah has now been born to put our lives back together, to make us whole and complete, to give us peace no matter what is going on around us, to give us, first off, peace with God. I don't know if you knew this or not, but go read the Bible. Ephesians 2 is clear. We are not born at peace with God. We are born, Paul says, objects of God's wrath. We are born rebels. We have the sin nature that now says, I don't want to live for God. I want to live for me. I don't want Jesus to be the sinner. I want to be the sinner. That's why kids early on, you don't have to teach them to say mine and to cry whenever we take stuff from them. They want to be the sinner in control. And that puts us at odds with God. We're born into his kingdom and yet we say, I want to be the king of your kingdom. And what's amazing is, again, is that God sent Jesus to come and make peace between us and him. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace you are longing for is a peace with God, the source of all that is good and beautiful and true. And you can now, no matter who you are or what you have done, have peace with this God. And not because of uh, you earned it, but because of God's grace poured out for you through Christ. And when you get peace with God, we then get peace with ourselves. When you get peace with God, you realize, like, I'm a new person. I have a new identity. I'm not what you say about me. I'm not what the world says about me. I'm not even what I say about me. I'm what God says about me. And God says, I am a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter. What is true of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is now true of you. You are covered in his righteousness, like Adam and Eve covered with that, that, that fur that God covers them with. You're now covered. You're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And you'll be treated for all eternity the way only he deserves to be treated. That gives you, and you believe that, a peace within yourself. And then ultimately, it gives you a peace with others. If you are critical towards yourself, you will be critical of others. If you are harsh towards yourself, you will be harsh towards others. If you're constantly judging yourself, you're going to constantly be judging and looking down on others. But whenever you have a peace with God that leads to a peace with self, rather than holding a grudge or living at odds with other people uh, who don't always line up with you on every single issue, you will love others, even your enemies, as God has loved you whenever you were his enemy. And so you need to understand today before we move any further, the peace God gives you is not just some sentimental peace that we're going to sing about for one week and then like put on our little family Christmas cards that we send out to people. This is a robust peace that every single one of us needed is a peace with God who is the one that you are longing for, a peace within yourself, free from anxiety, and a peace that we're now, now able to make with others. And this peace is a peace you cannot get from the world. You cannot get it anywhere apart from Jesus. Jesus himself says that in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you want to know how you get peace from the world? Here's how you get peace from the world. You ready? When everything's right in the world. That happening for anybody right now? I think of um, the, 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 the Christmas story, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. It's unde- it's, it can't even be debated, right? I mean, we all are in agreement on that. Ralphie is not at peace. The whole, whole film is filled with conflict. But he knows how to get peace. He knows how to make everything right in the world. He knows that, that if he is going to make everything right and experience peace, what does he need to get for Christmas. A Red rider BB gun. And if I can get that bad boy, everything will be good. Well, he does get it. He gets everything he has been asking for. And in the very last scene of the movie, here's what he says. Next to me in the blackness, he was laying in bed at night. Next to me in the blackness lay my oiled blue steel beauty. The greatest Christmas gift I'd ever received or ever would receive. Gradually, I drifted off to sleep, bringing ducks on the wing and getting off spectacular hip shots so despite all of the stress, getting bullied by Scott Farkas, having his mouth washed out with soap, having the Bumpus dogs eating their Christmas turkey, Ralphie said it was a Christmas he would never forget, a Christmas where we were introduced to Chinese turkey. And listen to this, all was right in the world. And then he's laying there laying in bed. And as the movie ends, you see the snow gently falling out the window as Ralphie falls asleep in perfect peace. Now, That sounds great, but here's a question. What happens when the gun breaks? Or rust? Or a better gun comes out? Well, you know what happens. The peace is gone. See, that's why the world the peace gives us, guys, it's so fragile. It's so fickle. It's just here, it's like a mist here today and gone. It's Ecclesiastes. And it's why we desperately need the peace of Jesus because unlike the shallow American definition of peace, which is all about the absence of conflict, Jesus wants to give you peace in the middle of the conflict. The peace the world gives you is a peace you can only get when all is right in the world. The peace Jesus gives you is the kind of peace where you can have it even when nothing seems to be right in the world. It is a calm in the middle of the chaos when the kids are going crazy, when it doesn't look like your marriage is going to be restored when you're sitting all alone through the holidays, when your money runs out, when the ground beneath you seems to be falling apart, Jesus gives you a peace in the midst of all of that. And so when you think about the peace that Christ gives, don't think of this tranquil lake. Think of the eye of a hurricane. It is a calm in the middle of the chaos, an inner an inner wholeness and calmness, even when it seems like everything is falling apart. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a peace that I want I don't want this just to be a Christmas message. Does that make sense? Like, I'm thinking about that as I'm working on this. Like, who cares if this stuff doesn't really settle into our hearts? I don't want this just to be another message. What I want to know is, is like, how do we get this? Because the majority of us in here claim to be Christians. Like, we claim to have given our lives to Jesus. So, so where's the peace? Why am I still so anxious? Talk to someone after the first service on anxiety medication. Right? Like, why are we? Where's the peace? How do I become a person of peace in the midst of the chaos? Well, two things I would share with you on a practical level, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, probably more we could have come up with, but this is what I have found to work in my life, and it is what I have found works in the lives of others. And so very quickly, here's what I would say. If you want to experience peace no matter what is going on around you, the first thing you're going to have to learn to do is this if you're taking notes. You have to learn how to take every thought captive. The truth is you and I right now in this moment are in the middle of a war. Go read Revelation 12 on your own today. It's the scariest version of the Christmas story you'll ever read in your entire life. Where the devil is depicted as a dragon that is waiting for Mary to give birth to Jesus so he can devour Jesus, which we know is what he tried to do, right, through Herod. Herod tried to kill Jesus after he was born. And in this depiction in, in Revelation 12, it talks about how this dragon could not get Jesus, and so now he's enraged. And the, you know what he's spending his time doing, according to Revelation 12? I think it's verse 18, somewhere in there. You know what he's doing right now? Because he's so mad, it says he's literally trying to devour those who are following Christ's commands those who continue to follow Jesus, he's coming after you constantly. And do you know how he's going to try to take you down? The primary way that he will try to, to disintegrate you and destroy you is through lies. It is through selling you on deceitful ideas or half-truths, lies about God, lies about yourself, lies about others that are meant to kill, steal, and destroy. And therefore, if you want peace, listen, you've got to hear this today. If you want peace, you need to understand that the battle for peace is fought on the battleground in your mind. Like, that's where the fight takes place. It's a fight in the words of Paul, to take every thought captive. To choose to focus on truth rather than lies. Some of you need to start doing that. You start, you find yourself anxious. What am I believing? Where did that thought come from? We've got to choose to take every thought captive. And Listen, I, this is not easy, but it is absolutely possible. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's done a ton of work over the last 30 years in the area of cognitive neuroscience, She writes the following in her book, Switch on the Brain, which is a book I read several years ago. Getting your thoughts disciplined and under control is one of the first steps in freeing yourself of the burdens of the world and beginning to enjoy life despite the burdens of the world. When you make a conscious decision to focus and direct your attention correctly, you change physical matter. That's crazy to think about. So through your thoughts, it is not physical. You change physical matter. Your brain and your body change in a healthy way. Purposefully catching your thoughts can control the brain's sensory processing, the brain's rewiring, the neurotransmitters, the genetic expression, and cellular activity in a positive or negative direction. And listen to this. You choose. You choose. Rather than... Choosing to focus on lies that are fed from the devil, you get to choose to focus on the truth from God's word, which ultimately will lead you into a life of peace. Now, here's the problem. If we're going to focus on truth, we're going to have to be honest about suffering. Because the truth is, bad things are going to happen to you. The truth is, it's not always going to turn out the way you want it to. The truth is, one day the doctor's going to call and it's going to be bad news. The truth is, you might not always get the promotion. Things will break. Sometimes people get sick and sometimes people will die. I remember being in, in the eighth grade before blowing out the candles for my 14th birthday. Right before I blow them out, we get a phone call from my dad's doctor that said, you've been diagnosed with stage three, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And in that moment, I remember thinking for the first time in my life, I cannot trust God to keep bad things from happening to me. And you can't either. You cannot trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. Uh, Just last week, our dog on Thanksgiving morning, someone shot our dog. We love this dog. I mean, I've cried more over this dog and I don't know what I, more than what I've cried over in the last several years. Um, it's crazy how much a dog can mean to you, you know? It's like it, it's um, shot a dog on Thanksgiving morning. And, you know, the truth is just that here's what I'm trying to say. Whether it's from your dog to your dad, And everything and anything in between, it's all going to experience hardship and suffering. It's all going to be impacted by the fall. And this actually should not surprise us. Because Jesus told us this is the way it's going to be. In John 16, he said, in this life, quote, you will have many troubles. That is a word from the mouth of Jesus. So you don't have to like suffering, but you shouldn't be surprised by it. In this life, you will have many troubles. And therefore, because that is true, if you're going to take every thought captive and you're going to focus on what is true, that's great. That's going to help you with peace. But there's a second thing and a final thing you're going to have to do if you're ever going to experience peace. And this is a big one, guys. And this is one God is teaching me right now. I am not at all saying I've arrived. I am right in the middle of the journey with y'all. But if we're going to experience peace, one, we do have to learn to take every thought captive. But then because we live in a fallen world, we also have to learn how to release control. Rather than trying to play God, rather than trying to manage all of life's uncertainties in our own power, if we're going to experience peace, we've got to come to a place where we surrender our fears to God. Where we truly say, okay, God, here you go. And this is what Paul ultimately says in Philippians 4. If you'll look with me right there, we'll we'll go through this very quickly. But in Philippians 4, he, he tells us, here's how you experience peace. And here's what he says in Philippians 4, starting in verse 5, he says this. This is huge. He starts and he says, the Lord is near. That's what Advent is all about. God may feel far off. He's not far off. He is near. And because he is near... Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, here's the opposite of anxiety, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, you let it go. You give your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts like a soldier. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And look at this, just because it goes really well with what we just said on taking every thought captive. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, there it is. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's a, a word It means meditate on them. Ponder these things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Why? Because this takes practice. You're not going to get this overnight. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Here it is, guys. I'll put it in a nutshell for you. If you want peace, there's two things you got to do. You got to pray and you got to ponder. You got to pray and you got to ponder. You got to ponder. You have to take every thought captive. You have to choose to focus on what is true and beautiful and honorable and excellent and worthy of praise. And you have to pray, which is a form of surrender. Rather than, "Uh, I got to figure all this out, it's a place of just like, okay, God, yes, I'm afraid. I'm afraid my loved one's going to get sick. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of not being able to pay my bills. I'm afraid of being alone. But rather than letting my fear turn into this gut-wrenching worry and anxiety, which just robs me of peace today and power today, I'm going to give you the anxiety. In prayer, I'm going to choose to surrender my life to you. Rather than trying to control the uncontrollable, in the words of Peter, I'm going to cast my cares on the God who cares for me. And this is easier said than done, isn't it? But it is the key to experiencing the peace so many of us are missing right now. I think of that word anxiety. I've shared this before. I don't remember where it came from. We put it on the screen, the word anxiety. Um, There it is. What letter is in the middle of anxiety? I. Which is a reminder that every time we experience anxiety, it is because we are trying to run the show. We are trying to be God. We are trying to carry something we never should have carried. We're trying to control something we should not control. Rather than trying to live with Christ at the center of it all, we're trying to put ourselves at the center of it all and control, again, what cannot be controlled. And according to Paul, according to the writers of the New Testament, if you want to overcome your anxiety, if you want to experience peace, here's the key. Listen, guys, you have to go from looking inward to looking upward at the one who ultimately came downward. To the one who descended into the middle of the darkest of dark, who descended into the fire, who descended into the chaos, who descended into the suffering and the pain of our own lives, the one who actually left, think about this, a perfect place in heaven where he's worshipped by the angels and became a baby. Have you ever thought about how much courage that must have taken for Jesus to do that? Is there anything more helpless and more vulnerable than an infant, than a newborn? Jesus gave up everything. And think about this. This is why his design, God designed it this way. He put his life in the hands of two first-time teenage parents. Have you ever been around two first-time teenage parents? Does 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 it scream peace and stability to you? How could he do that? It's not because he trusted Joseph. It's not because he trusted Mary. It's because he trusted his heavenly father. He knew he could surrender it all. I can give it up. I don't don't need any power in this situation because my father has got me. And listen, we're almost done. Jesus trusted in the father and he knew that trusting in the father did not mean bad things would not happen to him. Jesus knew when he left heaven what he had come to do, which was to die for you and me. Jesus experienced a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. He was tempted in every way that we were. Jesus didn't trust the Father because, well, if I trust the Father, bad things won't happen to me. He trusted the Father because he knew that even if the worst thing happens to me, and it did, that he will still take even the worst thing and he will use it in the best possible way, not just for me but for the salvation of the world, for you and for me. And if that is true, then we can trust God the Father. We can continue to trust in this Jesus, in the Messiah. We can continue to know that no matter what happens, that it's going to be okay. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what a great picture for us, right? He, he's in his greatest hour of need. He's so stressed out that he's, he, he's sweating drops of blood. That is extreme psychological stress that I know nothing about. And in that moment of great stress, he said, here was his prayer, not my will be done, but your will be done. Surrender. And then on the cross, before he breathed his final breath, he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit from his From his first cry as a baby to his final breath on a cross, Jesus continued to trust the Father and so can you and so can me. We can know that no matter what happens in this world, that one day, one day Christ will return and everything will be perfectly made whole and complete. All sad things will come untrue. There'll be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more pain, no more stupid stuff, like people shooting your dog. None of that is all going to be over with. And that can give us great hope and great peace. But even in the midst of the, the journey between here and there, what gives me peace today is to know that there's nothing that's going to come into your life right now. Nothing that will come into your life that God will not use for your good. And if you can believe that about tomorrow, it can give you peace for today. Tim Keller, um, y'all know, he's had a big impact on my life and on our church. A couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with, stage, uh, diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, which from what I understand is a death threat. Uh, That's the way I understand it. And I was reading an article this morning, or a quote from an article this morning where he said this. He said, I have stage four pancreatic cancer, but it is endlessly comforting, endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. God has plenty of good reasons For everything he does and allows that I cannot know, and therein is my hope and my strength. Man, isn't that awesome? I want to know Jesus in that way. Pancreatic cancer, I feel endlessly comforted right now because of what I have in Christ. Earlier this week, our family watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Watched it whenever Megan was gone on her race because she does not like the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Um, but watched it with the kids. And uh, my favorite part is, I love Charlie Brown, by the way, because he's so melancholy and just kind of ho-hum, and he can kind of see the negativity and everything. I'm like, okay, Megan's like, I think you're like Charlie Brown. It's like, that's why I relate to him, you know. But there's this scene where he's supposed to be directing the play, and it's not going well, and he's like, can anybody tell me what Christmas is about? And Linus says, I know what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. And he walks to the center stage and the lights come on him and he just begins to quote our passage for today, Luke 2, verse 8 through 14. And right in the middle of quoting this text, he does something. You've heard me talk about this before, but I think I am talking about it every year. Comes in the middle of this text and he drops his blanket. Now, up until this point, he has never dropped his blanket in an episode. But in this climactic scene... He's telling us about Christmas, what it's all about, and he drops his blanket right whenever he says in verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. See, Charlie Schultz wants us to see something that's so simple and it's so brilliant. Here it is. If you will begin to take Christmas to heart, to believe this, Jesus will separate you from your fears. He will allow us to drop the false securities that we have been clinging to and to grasp, to cling to him, the one who alone is able to actually give us the peace that we are longing for.